morning. Um, so today's Bible reading is actually in two parts. So we're starting in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. And then we're jumping all the way over to John, chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. So starting in Numbers, chapter 20, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no corn or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he was proved holy among them. And now turning to John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Well, let's pray as we look into this great passage. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, thank you that your word is so instrumental in everything we do as Christians. And we just pray that you'll help us to understand it aright today. Amen. Well, this chapter is, frankly, one of the most depressing chapters in the, uh, in the Bible. God's people seem to have learned absolutely nothing in 40 years. They've been disciplined, they've been trained in the desert, and nothing seems to have sunk in. There they are, when they were freed from Egypt, they went quite quickly up to Kadesh, 
There they sent spies into the land. Do you remember? One from each tribe. Uh, two of the people who went in were uh, Hoshea, do you remember? And Caleb. Do you remember the story that how Moses uh, was not happy that Hoshea should remain? Hoshea means savior. His parents had named him savior in Egypt. And Moses was not happy with that because man cannot save anyone. The Lord is the savior. So he changed Hoshea to Joshua. Joshua. The Lord saves, and that's the same name as Jesus. Well, these two, they returned. And remember the ten tribes, the ten spies said, oh, it's very nice. Uh, there's lots of grapes, pomegranates, and figs there. But, uh, frankly, the people there are far too powerful. We'll never win. And they passed this rumor amongst all the people. They spread a bad report. And what happened? The people were terrified and they listened. Uh, 14 verse 1. If you've got your Bible open, it would be very helpful. All the Israelites grumbled against Aaron and Moses. If only we died in Egypt. So here it was, right at the beginning, soon after they left Egypt, the people were grumbling. Uh, 14.6 Only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephani spoke out against these doubters, these skeptics. Uh, they said, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid. That's what those two said right at the beginning. Well, the Lord was angry with that rebellion. No one has ever treated me with contempt, will ever see the land, God said then. It's, it's a difficult subject, isn't it, the anger of God? Very seldom do we hear it talked about. Yet it's vital we understand it. I came across this quote uh, by Jim Packer in his, uh, his book, Knowing God, superb book. The fact is that the subject of divine wrath, he writes, has become a taboo in modern society, and Christians, by and large, have accepted the taboo and conditioned themselves never to raise the matter. Listen to lots of talks by you know, eminent church leaders. Yeah, that's right. Yet the Bible says more about the wrath of God than it does about the love of God. Do you know that? Anyway, God's people then spend 40 years traveling in this wilderness. Sin has a devastating effect. I was looking at something. Do you remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? That story. And there's obnoxious other people, besides Charlie, who, who got the uh, golden ticket. You know, Mike TV, who spent all his time watching TV. Nowadays, I think they'd have um, Mike on his mobiles. Uh, Augustus Gloop, who spends all his time gobbling and eating everything. And uh, my favorite, Veruca Salt. I wasn't obnoxious young lady she is. 
Uh, well, the, quite rightly, these people are ridiculed. They can't be purified as is trying to happen now. Anyway, let's come back to Numbers 20, where we're looking at. We know that this is now after 40 years in the wilderness, they've come back to Kadesh. We, we know that. Look at uh, 20 verse 1. They travel back up to Kadesh in the wilderness of Sin. Isn't that an apt name for a people who've rebelled against God? Zin and Sin are the same. What happens there? Well, Miriam, who is Miriam? Sister, sister of Moses. She dies. Uh, and then at the end of the chapter, if you look on, you'll see that Aaron's about to die uh, here too. And it's interesting, Aaron, we're told, is 123 years old. And when they left Egypt, he was 83. So we are talking about another episode 40 years later. Well, let's move on. God's people rebel. So nothing's changed. Lack of water, in that very arid land, and it still is arid, people are moaning. Look at 20 verse 3. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we died when the others did, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It's the same problem as 40 years back. And I find it interesting, look at verse 5. They mention, look, we've got no figs, vines, or pomegranates. They're the very items that the spies have said the land was full of, that God wanted to give them. But it's so depressing. You see, these people want to distance themselves by their moaning from God, from his inheritance. In fact, they wish they weren't part of God's family. They rejected God they rejected God's word. They rejected God's promises. And then, as always happens, they shifted the blame onto the leader. Have you seen that, that children's T-shirt that's uh, been around? It was him. Have you seen that one? We're very good at doing this, aren't we? <clears throat> when Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church, uh, he reminded them of this episode in, uh, in Israel's history. Uh, now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. We should not test Christ. These things were written down as warnings for us. You see, these old stories... They're very relevant for us today. It's got such an important lesson for us. See, we still are inherently rebellious against God. We, we forget his glorious promises to us. He's promised us a new inheritance in eternity for those who keep going and living with him. I would stress this, it's only for those who keep going, living for him. Our salvation is only in Christ. The Bible is very clear about this. I'm, I put up this one verse. You know, this wonderful inheritance we have, if 
we continue, or you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope that's uh, held out in the gospel. Jesus holds it out. We must hold on to him if we're to be saved. But there in the desert, everything was going pear-shaped. Miriam's died. The people that Moses led were in revolt. What, what could they do? Moses and Aaron. Unfortunately, they, well, they start well. Look at verse 6. Uh, the two brothers, they go and pray in the tabernacle, the tents of meeting. That's a wonderful answer, isn't it? You have a problem, take it to the Lord in prayer. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them and told them what to do. It's a great lesson for us whenever we're facing what we see as real problems. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do. The Lord is in control. Trust him. Now look at verse 8. The Lord said, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock and it will pour out water. Now this rod was the symbol of authority, the symbol of leadership that God had loaned to the Aaron, particularly to Aaron. But here Moses was to take it. It's the authority of God. It reminded him that God was sovereign. It's very clear and very simple image. And yet God says, your weapon will be your words. Never changed. The weapon of Christians is what we say, which reflects what God has said. Again, that's so important, isn't it? If people use physical weapons, like Peter used a sword, do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? <laughs> what was the effect? He cut off the ear of Malchus. It's a, a picture. People stop listening when God's ear, when people's ears are damaged because of our aggression. Christians must never be aggressive. We won't win people for Christ that way. Moses is told, can you see it there? Just speak. Very clear. His job is now to obey. Well, unfortunately, see what happens. Moses becomes self-important. But verse 9 is very interesting. Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as commanded. Now, why is the phrase there, from the Lord's presence? Why doesn't the writer just say, he took the staff? Surely this has got another meaning for us. God, he was taking away the authority from the Lord's presence and giving it to himself. The Lord was no longer with Moses and Aaron. Can you see what's going wrong? The whole tone of this story changes if you read it through. Moses then says to the people, 
Listen, you rebels. Oh dear. Must we bring you water out of the rock? Who's he going, trying to get the glory for? It's for him. Oh, such antagonism to the people. It's hardly the best way to win anyone. It's a very authoritarian approach. We are in charge. We are the ones God will use. Can you see who's getting the glory? They were uh, aping, in a way, the anger of the people. Moses now thought that the power was his. So, you see what happens. This anger that's pent up in him. The anger that reflected the people. And so often, church leaders do reflect pressures from the people. Uh, instead of speaking to the rock, as he is told, what does he do? He strikes it. And it says not once, not a symbolic way, he thrashed this rock. Twice. But then water gushes out. But guess who got the praise? Can you all see what's going on here? Moses' weapon was meant to be the words, the word of God. It was God who should be glorified, God who should be praised through the trust and obedience of Moses and Aaron. They're the characteristics God wanted. But, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. I don't know what you think. You might say, well, isn't that a bit unfair of God? Yeah, we all lose it a bit sometimes. A little mistake. And now he's facing God's wrath. God's trying to say to us, look, sin is sin. However small it is, sin is sin. Do you remember Azar? Some of you might remember Azar. He was uh, in 2 Samuel 6. Do you remember the, uh, the word of the Lord to say, no one must touch the ark. But as they brought back the ark from the, being captured by the Philistines, the an oxen stumble, uh, stumbled and the ark wobbled and Uzzah went up and uh, supported it. He reached out. And then you read this. The Lord's anger burnt against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Wow. Surely the lesson for us must be, we must not trifle with sin. We've got to shun it like the plague. Satan is out to seduce you and me in all sorts of different ways. We all have different temptations. You know, Satan will say to us, oh, it won't matter. It's just a, a little thing. You'll enjoy it. Just as he said to Satan, to Adam and Eve in the garden. You won't die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
But they did die spiritually. It seems just a little thing to take that fruit. But underneath it is a real rebellion against God. And Adam and Eve were excluded from God's presence, just as Moses was going to be, symbolically. Fortunately, we know that he wasn't rejected by God because he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah. Didn't Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The little things matter. Moses and Aaron have here forgotten that they must do what God commands if they're to reach the promised land. And we've got to keep going. We've got to trust God's promise and obey his commands. All got the meant bit of this story. So sin, even small sins, are the result of a lack of faith in God. Look, look at verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So we must trust and obey. This is the lesson. Look, look at the end of the chapter. There it is, verse 29. Aaron died. If you read the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses died before he could get into the promised land. Who were the two who got through? Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh were the only two who ever got through to the land of milk and honey. Isn't that lovely? You can all see the lesson, can't you? Now, the details as to how we live as Christians really does matter. I was reading a lovely story in the uh, UFM, the Spring Magazine. It's a story of an Iranian young man who was being, uh, having a really tough time uh, in Iran. He fled to Pakistan. He hid in caves because he knew if he was caught, they'd take him back and he'd be, have a very rough time. He, uh, by then, he managed to uh, get a, a, a forged passport. He, uh, he'd lost his faith in Islam, but unfortunately he'd also lost his faith in God. And he then managed to travel uh, from Pakistan. He went to Spain, but he had absolutely nothing in Spain. And he was getting very hungry, living out on the streets, and there's a Christian baker there who saw this man every morning just looking at the buns being made. And this man had pity on him and gave him some. And then it became a, a daily ritual. This Christian baker just gave him some bread. And he then pointed him. He said, yeah, there's a church nearby that will care for you. By... This time, 
this uh, Iranian man was looking for the truth, and he became interested in the baker's Christian message. His brother had also uh, fled from Iran and gone to Wales, and eventually they met up. And this Iranian, he just couldn't stop talking about the kindness and the love of that baker. Uh, one night he cried out to God, if you're there, help me to know the truth. And something quite remarkable happened, as often seems to happen with Muslims. God spoke to him in a dream, and the next morning he was a Christian. See, little things do matter, that's the point. Sin is not just what Veruca Salt does, or uh, what was it, Mike TV, you know, these bad things. No, failing to do good, James tells us. If anyone knows to do good and does it not, for him it is sin. Well, God has given a command to all of us. He's told us, you know, live the gospel. Live as Jesus did. Share the gospel. Speak to others. Invite others as Jesus did. Oh, people say today, uh, there's, there's little point in talking about the gospel today, yet no one seems interested. Don't listen to that lie, please. People are interested. They really are. God's weapon is the words we use. Use them. We may feel rejected, but who knows, as we pray, that God will speak to people through our behavior and what we say and our invitations. We'll see things happen. Well, the Lord deserves the glory. Look at verse 12 again. God speaks to Aaron and Moses. Back to this point. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. See, that's our job. Glory in Christ. Honor him as holy. May they see by the way we live that we love him. See, we've been chosen by God not just to come to church, not even just to get to know God's word, but to be a light to the Gentiles. That's our job. And we do this by trusting and obeying. That's God's command. Remember the end of Matthew, the Great Commission? It's there for us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, that's us, to do everything I've commanded you. If we're not involved in this, living for Christ, we're, frankly, serving ourselves. The glory comes to us. There's no advantage in being known as a, a kind, humble person able person if we're not living for Christ? Must we? No, it's, it's not us. That way of thinking is a disaster. Not to give glory to Christ. They may see our good works, great, but the point is that we should 
glory to our Father who's in heaven. Do you remember King Agrippa the first in, in, in Acts 12? Why was he eaten by worms? Because he did not give God the glory. What a lesson this is for us Christians today. We can so easy, easily be inward looking and not living for Christ. Now let's finish off with a, another interesting bit of this story. The water flows from the rock. Do you notice that in spite of Moses and Aaron's failure, God still acts to relieve his people. He gave them the water that they desperately needed in spite of their anger and Moses and Aaron's behavior. Isn't that lovely? That's called sovereign grace, grace that we don't deserve. God gives it to us. It's his free loving kindness to us rebels. God gives his flowing water from the rock when we don't deserve it. It's a repeated theme. We haven't got time to go into it now, but the rock in the Bible represents the Lord Jesus right the way through. Moses himself recognizes this. If you've got time, uh, look at Deuteronomy 32. Uh, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, Moses said, just before he dies. He is the rock, a faithful God. 15, Jeshurun, that's Israel, grew fat and kicked. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their saviour. And again, you deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The rock is the Lord Jesus. Keeps coming, you know, Hannah's prayer, the mother of Samuel. There is no rock like our God. It comes again and again. David, the, the Lord is my rock. Is, is he our rock? Are we really that dependent on him? But similarly, the Bible talks about the living water. It keeps talking about this that flows from Christ. In Jeremiah, beginning of Jeremiah 2, my people have forsaken me. Yeah, God's people have. The spring of living water. We build our own systems. We go our own way. The living water that flows from Jesus is the strength and succor of the church. Jesus said, do you remember to the woman at Samaria? Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. That's what they needed in, in the desert. That's what we need. Well, when there's a division amongst the people over who Jesus really is, do you remember at the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest symbolically, would take water from the pool of Siloam and march up through Jerusalem and pour it on the altar. And just at that point, when Jesus was there, 
he let out in a loud voice, everyone can hear, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, a scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Have you got the picture? God wants this living water to flow from Christ into us, but not sit there like the Dead Sea. It's meant to flow out to other people, the Spirit. Well, there's so much here, isn't there? God hates anything in us that takes the glory away from himself. But he's still a God of grace. And from our rock, from the Lord Jesus, he gives us living water. Water that takes us to eternal life. Water that he wants us to pass on to other people. But he's promised he will take those who love the Lord Jesus into his promised land. Whatever problems we've got, isn't that wonderful? We're about to take communion. Just remember, Jesus is our rock. Everything flows from him. Our job, whatever problems we face, is to keep trusting and to keep obeying. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much in this simple story and we can see ourselves in it. Please help us to not to take the glory to ourselves, always to point to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, our rock. And Lord, fill us with your Spirit. And may your Spirit overflow to other people around us. We talk to them, we invite them. May they see in us this grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen.